Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my reflexively happy daughter and co-host, Lauren Simonian, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. So, Lauren, I, I, I was just talking to you prior to going on with our podcast, and when I introduce you, it's very hard for you to say, hi, Dad. <laughs> it is I think because you always give me these big compliments like reflexively happy daughter and then I feel very humbled and I'm also supposed to say hello and I'm not really sure exactly how to do that without being a little awkward how about instead of hi dad what can we say what, what? yeah I don't know why this part is so difficult it's just a quick friendly greeting maybe, I think maybe. because it feels unnatural because we've been talking to each other before you pressed record so now all of a sudden it's like hello dad but I guess really what we're saying is like hello to our listeners yeah but that the, feels more genuine do, do you feel it's like infantilizing you to say hi dad no 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 I'm, okay. I'm proud that you're my dad and I'm happy that we're on this podcast together so I don't think that's the problem okay. I just think it's like every week I say the same thing no you don't like hello <laughs> well. I reflexively happy. Oh, oh, you are reflexively happy, right? I am. When you first said that, I had to think about it for a second, but I think that's pretty much true. Yeah, well, we're going to be talking about reflexive thinking. So I thought, what more could bring that point home than my reflexively happy daughter? Hmm. So um, since you are um, certainly going to bring some happiness and positivity and optimism into this podcast let me just suggest the title okay. i came up i didn't run this by you usually i get your feedback so if you hate it let me know okay <laughs> the title today is how to stop talking yourself into a life of emotional struggle ah that actually kind of validates my awkward moment of saying hello because I feel like I was talking myself into trying to figure out the right words to say oh, you know great self-talk is very negative okay so now we're, we're really rolling here yeah. and and we're, we're going to be talking about uh reflexive thinking and and I'll introduce it by saying that mo you know most of our thoughts are kind of neutral right they just deal with life circumstances, you know, just the door opens and you look to see who it is. And you're not really thinking so much, you're just reacting to life. Those are circumstantially reflexive responses to life. But then there's insecurity-driven reflexes. You know, those are the ones that have to do with, oh my God, am I going to be late? Uh, or, you know, geez, what did I say? Did I say the wrong thing? So insecurity in those, it, it almost is automatic. Do you buy that, that, that some of those thoughts that just pow, just punches right in the nose, that they're not premeditated. They're just, well, instantaneous insecurity. Oh, the doubts, the fears, the negativity. They just bam right in our face, right? Mm, yes. Yeah, it feels like it's coming from somewhere else other than our own mind. Yeah. 
That's a very good point. I, I've often pondered, in fact, in my, my new book, The Unlearning Anxiety and Depression book, I, I, I have a whole chapter devoted to uh, thoughts, where they come from, conscious thoughts, unconscious thoughts, you know, just who in us is doing the talking. It's a fascinating subject. So thoughts have seem to have a life of their own oftentimes. And that's true with reflexive thoughts, especially reflexive thoughts of insecurity. They're just like knee jerks. They're just, we react, boom. You know, a certain stimuli will cause a certain thought reaction. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't even hear the thought reaction. You know, like I, I know sometimes thoughts are loud and you actually can hear them telling you, I'm not good at this or don't you dare try that. But I think sometimes they're also... Um, more subconscious too. It, yeah, that, that's nice. Some thoughts are louder than others. Some are subtle. We almost, unless you're looking, you probably don't even notice the thoughts. You just maybe feel the visceral reaction. Mm -hmm. mm, very good, Lauren. Yeah, they say, I was just researching earlier, I always thought that this statistic was fascinating that in a day, most humans have 60,000 thoughts. I actually do not know how they measured this, but I found it in several different places. 60,000 thoughts in a day. And of your 60,000 thoughts, 95% of those thoughts, they say are repetitive thoughts, meaning like they've been thought before. So it's almost like our brain is on repeat. Hmm. Um, our subconscious is on repeated patterns. And of the 95% of repeated thoughts, 80% are negative. Gee. Which is how really many, depressing. What are there? How many how many thoughts in a day? How did you start that out? Hold on. I thought it was 60,000. 60, I don't know. Let me see. Okay. 60,000. Okay. Between 12 and 60,000 for the average person. You just Google. Check. You, you're not supposed to Google. That we have I know, but I didn't I didn't have, have time Aaron to get in touch that. with our I was gonna say I didn't have time to get in touch <laughs> with our fact checker. Can she be available during a podcast? She really should be because I need a lot of help in that department. So, okay. So just once more, the statistic is 12 to what? 60,000. Thoughts a day. Correct. And 95% of those thoughts are thoughts Repetitive. we've already had. Mm -hmm. And and what's the percentage of negative? And 80% of those 95 repeated thoughts. So 80% of our repeated thoughts are negative. Oh, man. Mm. That's a bummer. Isn't that a bummer? I don't really know. I, I feel like that's not totally yeah, who, true. Like, I would like to contest that. Who, who does this research? Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody? I know. No, like many different psychological studies were done. They all came up with the same information. I have no idea how you measure a thought, though, maybe with frequency. Well, I, I would guess that, you know, they, they, they have, it's like bean counting. You just have people kind of no, can't pressing be. a button every time you have a thought. <laughs> no way. I feel like there has to be a more scientific way <laughs> where they actually measure like the brain neurotransmitters or something. I don't know. My goodness. A thought know. is a very ephemeral thing. I mean, we, we, we can't really locate a thought in the brain. Mm -hmm. We know that it's associated with neural activity. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you're saying. 60,000 thoughts at the um, I'm in tender. That's terrible. maybe you just don't think as much as the average person because thanks a lot. Well, I, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts have more clarity than the average person. Let's say that you don't have to overthink it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So what I what I've done in, in all of my writing, I've introduced a concept called which I call the child reflex. Now we're talking about reflexive thoughts. And well, let me give you an analogy. If, if, if hypothetically, 
someone has a child and we were able to just follow that child 24 hours a day with a video camera and record every single event that child has right up through preteens up to teenage years. We would be arrested so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Must you go there? Sorry, go ahead. And and we and we now have recorded every single thing that happened to that child. So we would now have a permanent record of all the influences and circumstances that have influenced that child. But this is what the brain does. I mean, you know, we can't, you know, the same thing with the brain as it imprints these things in our brain, just as we can't go back and change a video recording, we can't go unlearn the the recordings or the imprints of our developmental years Mm. so these reflexes that emanate from our past you know the video recordings of our past these are the reflexes that are childlike and it is the childlike aspect that produces the anxieties the feelings that you can't handle the hysteria and we we tend to act like that child yeah so true and children are so vulnerable because they're set their sense of identity is not yet formed so anything that others say to them can be imprinted and as as if it's their own voice like I remember when I was young I want to say second grade or so I didn't do well on a math test it was like the first time I didn't do well on something in school and I just remember internalizing that as like I am not good at math and to this day I believe that you know and I have to catch myself when I, when those things come up, but, you know, even if I'm out to dinner with my friends and we're trying to figure out the check and they hand it to me to figure out, I get like this sense of panic because it's like, oh my gosh, no, this is not what I'm supposed to be good at. Um, And I really think it goes back to that early experience. You're not sitting there saying, I think I'm going to panic, right? This is, as you say, the child reflex. The reflex of, yes. It's it's non, it's a non-thinking kind of agitation. Yeah. And the unfortunate part is if you don't challenge that and ask yourself, like, where is this reaction coming from? You don't actually equate it to something that as an adult, you can look back and debunk that theory. But if you just accept it as fact or truth that, you know, mm-hmm. this is whatever. And I know it's well, a silly no, example. It's kind of but... What we, but no, it's absolutely not a silly example. It's what we do. It's it's that we 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 just accept that feeling and we we just kind of don't attend to it. We just, you know, accept it as this is the way I am. Uh, I'm sure in that moment where maybe, what was it, a, a bill with, with a restaurant or something? Yeah, that's just one example. Like if, if, if I'm given the responsibility to figure out the, mm-hmm. you know, the check, which of course I can do, it's not that hard, but it's, it's that moment of realizing like, wow, they expect me to be able to do this. And what if I don't do it right? Because I'm not good at this. And and you're not necessarily now going to ponder that for the rest of the evening. It came, it caused some stress to do rest and you moved on with the night, but that, that reflex did its, did its duty, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Double entendre there. It did its Mm. duty on you. (laughs) That was my child reflex. (laughs) And, and, and basically, we let it go. So that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. That's kind of what we're getting at today is that these thoughts that are reflexive, uh, you know, and what's a reflex, you know, touch typing, um, dialing a phone, is it dialing a phone? We used to dial a phone, you know, the rotary phones. Yeah, I guess it's dialing a phone. Well, what would you say if you're going to call somebody You say, let me, 
I have to let me call. I don't think I <laughs> you don't dial it. I don't anymore. think I break it down any more than that. Yeah. Mm. I mean you do touch the buttons, so I suppose you could be dialing. Poking, poking your phone. Let me poke <laughs> so, my friend. <laughs> so anyway, and put or uh, tying a shoe, buttoning a blouse or shirt. These are things that we we don't necessarily have to think about because we've established reflexes. So an established child reflex, we're talking about emotional habits that have we've carried with us through life. Mm. And, and these emotional habits, the child reflex, when the child reflex is in control of our thoughts, we are not steering. So those isolated moments when you were sitting at the table at the restaurant and everyone was looking at you to figure out the tip or something. In that isolated moment, you, your mature you was kind of in the back seat, and the child reflex was dominant. Yeah, right. Unless you can, like, unless you have awareness enough to catch that. Exactly. Right. Like, if you can catch that thought as an adult, you can reframe your thinking, mm -hmm. especially if you could trace it back to what what the root of that thought is, because it's not you know insecurities come from somewhere yeah so. but i'm going to throw a, a wrench into that because sometimes the truth does not set you free uh knowing no. where a traumatic of imprint came from doesn't necessarily see because these are habits true so and obviously failing a math test is not a trauma so it's a yeah. different level but no but i guess what i'm saying is that um you can go back and, you know, the old Freudian analysis and, and really get back to why you were traumatized as a child and, you know, whether your potty training was too strict or too lenient. And I didn't have very strict potty training. <laughs> can, you, can you tell by my liberal attitude? But anyway, so getting <laughs> getting to the truth doesn't always set you free. And the reason it doesn't, it's, it's a good step. And I agree with you that we should try to illuminate because amplifying where something happens helps us grapple with it better. But the fact that it has been practiced over time, it becomes a habit, a knee-jerk habit. Yeah. So just knowing, yeah, that's what started that, but it keeps going on and on and on. That's why sometimes just analyzing uh, and dissecting the past doesn't really solve all the problems you would hope. But don't you think on some level it, you can um, challenge the thought? Like, because now you are a mature adult, and when you can trace it back to the moment that it happened, you can either understand that like your situation was unfair or maybe you like internalized something that maybe was somebody else's opinion or view that isn't true for you. Like, I just think as children, we tend to internalize the, the opinions and views of others and we hold that as true. And because we're so vulnerable, we don't know better at that point. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, when you think back, like, oh, this is the reason that I react this way. I think that as an adult, you can actually understand that that's not healthy or helpful for you. Well, but you're absolutely correct. But you see, I guess the point I made before about you at the restaurant is that you're not you're not always backtracking the emotion. You you let it slide, and it gets reinforced one more time. So yeah, mm -hmm. what you and I are talking about today is to become more active in diffusing some of these impulses. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, we're getting, way, we're another, getting there then. Another way of looking at it, think of it, you know, a 35 millimeter camera. And if you focus it manually, and let's say there's a, 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 some flowers on a table and in the background there's, uh, oh, I don't know, a polar bear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you focus it- well, Where are you when you're taking this photo? 
<laughs> flowers you, and polar bears. If you focus on the, the thing in the foreground, the flower, yeah. the polar bear is blurred out. You don't see the polar bear. It's just like a white blob. And okay. the flower is in focus. And if you do just the opposite, if you focus on the polar bear, then the flower is blurred. So what happens with these imprints, it depends on what you're focusing on. If you focus on the child reflex, then the mature you is the blurred out polar bear. Not that you're a polar bear, but, but if you focus on the flowers or the child reflex, you're not really seeing the mature you. Just like you at that restaurant, you weren't really in touch with those mature thoughts at that moment because the child reflex was in focus. Got it. Yeah. And I guess in some ways it's probably hard to, it's probably hard to be aware of those reflexive thoughts in the moments that they Mm -hmm. happen, right? Because you're not going to dissect your childhood when you're sitting at a table. But, you know, we're talking about self-talk in I, I've, I've called it self-talk and mind talk. You could choose whichever you, you like. But I think you'll agree, we're not really talking to ourselves, right? This is an inner dialogue. Mm-hmm. But it's, isn't it like talking? Did you ever think about that? I mean, yeah, I think I, about that a lot, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I think about self-talk, it's like, is it, is it, is it really, do I really just say, what are you going to do today, Joe? I mean, who's talking to whom? Mm-hmm. But I, I get really tripped up with that. I'm, I'm, I, when, I, when I say, uh, what am I going to do today? If I think about that, who am I asking? You know, just, it drives me crazy. Am I asking me or am I asking something other than me? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. So when you're asking yourself, to me, that's like asking my inner my inner self, my inner being, which doesn't necessarily exist in thought or in the mind. It's like a deeper, deeper sense of self. Most inner thought is non-directed. That's, that's kind of the circumstantial reactivity of life. But when we try to steer our thoughts, and that's kind of what we're talking, we're trying to, we're trying to direct the thoughts towards a more healthy format. So in order to do that, yeah, you have to become a bit curious. Now, you, you had mentioned before, we can't go around just, you know, trying to observe every thought and be aware of it. But one, one thing we should do is whenever we experience duress, stress, mm-hmm. anxiety, doubts, fears, negatives, uh, and, and you feel, you know, a visceral response to that, those are the moments where it really pays off to say, what was going through my mind? Because I'm a firm believer that thoughts most extent precede feelings and reactions so if you try to go back to uh the the trigger uh, i think we can get a little bit closer to whether that was me now here's another duality whether that was me or the child reflex so that is a duality that i think we need to be aware of because the child reflex is in essence a separate personality if you will it's it's a historic personality it was you during those developmental moments Mm -hmm. but it's not you now but it can take over and it hijacks reality in the present and therefore it becomes imbued with what's going on but it is not really you the mature you so would you buy the fact that there are two parts of us there is the mature part the mature healthy part and then there are these insecurity driven reflexive parts or most dominantly the child reflex. 
Does mm -hmm. that duality bother you? Not at all. And, and I think also when addressing the child's reflexes, I think it's important to remember that we can, we can contest them and also be grateful for them. Because I think in a lot of ways, like those reflexive patterns had served us at one time, like they actually protected us in some way. Mm -hmm. And so now that we're older and wiser and we can understand better, we can kind of like thank those patterns for what they have done to serve us and then try and let them go or, or change the script a little bit. See, that's why I, I say you are such a reflexively brilliant daughter. <laughs> <laughs> because you're, you're, you're 100% right. Those thoughts served us in those seminal moments of maturity and maturing. And unfortunately, and this is, this is, this is such the bane of, of being a child, we don't have the resources as a child to handle life the way we would as an adult. So what does the child do? Well, the child develops compensatory strategies, uh, controlling strategies such as worrying, being, being hostile, for example, if mommy says do this, no, I'm not doing it. You know, uh, you, you're distancing yourself, you're trying to preserve your ego in the best way you can as a child. And these are usually not very effective or not very desirable compensations. Uh, you see bullies at school and we say, you know, how did that happen that that child became a bully? Well, that was a compensation perhaps for insecurity and feelings, low self-worth and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, an unloved child may become overly attached to a teacher or, you know, but, but these are the compensatory aspects of those moments where the child is just trying to cope. So what happens now is we continue to use those compensatory strategies in the present without even knowing where they came from or why. We become worry warts, we become overly anxious, we become very sensitive, hypersensitive, we become aggressive, passive aggressive. These are all based on the compensatory strategies that the child, the inadequate child tried to put into place to be safe. Mm -hmm. And you're always saying that, that children, you know, there should be a song. They just, many of the song girls just want to be, have fun. Girls just want to have fun. <laughs> Children just want to be safe, right? <laughs> true. Yeah. What do you see with, with the young kids in, in, you go from kindergarten right to fifth grade right now, right? Right. What, what kind of, um, do you see compensatory strategies developing in these kids? Yeah. I think one of the most obvious ones is um, kids that feel insecure and they act out trying to get negative attention. Like those are the ones that are just kind of like glaring examples because as a teacher, obviously, you know, that's something that you need to deal with just in terms of management. Um, but it's always sad to me because I, for the most part, kids are not acting out because they're bad. Like there's no such thing as a bad kid. Um, but a lot of kids act out because they just can't get attention any other way. And so it is becomes that the, a habit. So that's the why. Why? What, what do you? What make up a scenario? What do you think happens at home that kind of uh, encourages a kid to to get to the school age grades and want negative attention? What kind of? Well, environment? I think probably not having the present attention of of an adult or or anyone really, because um, a lot of these kids that I notice at school they don't really have close friendships, and part of the problem is their behavior kind of isolates them because you know, who wants to be friends with the kid that's always getting in trouble. And of course the teacher gets frustrated because, you know, the kid is not following the rules and, and the kid, what he really wants is 
to be seen and heard and loved, but unfortunately they go about it in the wrong way. Doesn't that become like a self-fulfilling prophecy, even for the kid that the more negative reinforcement you're you're looking for the the more the, the world turns against you the teachers other kids and the more angry you get the more frustrated you get and the more negative you get so it becomes yeah it kind of feeds so off itself. Yeah. that's why they say the most the most unlovable kids are the ones that need your love the most mm. yeah. yeah i always think about that but so, yeah that's just one example i mean obviously there's yeah i've written about other. i've written about the different types of parental environments that create these these imprints you know we have the uh, defective parent the uh, drug abuse alcoholic we have the unloving parent the narcissistic unloving parent the indifferent parent that could care less we have the overly involved you know kind of helicopter parent you know so there's tiger mom tiger there's different parental environments that will produce different child reflexive responses. And the child develops these strategies, again, to feel safe. The child, you know, isn't trying to do anything nefarious. They're just trying to find some inner ego security. Mm -hmm. And certain strategies, if they work, if they give that child a sense of satisfaction, or they reduce the stress or struggle of that child, it will be repeated. And if these strategies are repeated and repeated, they become reflexive. And thus, ultimately, the child reflex winds all the way up into our adult maturity because they, you know, this is the strategy that worked back then. And it's the strategy that will go on, not necessarily working, but contaminating our healthy self because the healthy self isn't steering. See, that's what I said when that focus is on the polar bear or the flowers. If we're focused on letting that child run the roost, rule the roost, then of course uh, the polar bear eats us. I'd still like to know where polar bears and flowers exist. Well, because you know how cold it is. We had like an ice storm last night, so I'm thinking all kinds of cold. And you had an ice storm last night? Yeah, you didn't. You're only living five miles away. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think we did. Laura, what was the last time you were out of your place? Oh, well... Yeah, uh, today is Saturday, right? So yesterday. <laughs> well, yeah. you then you have an early uh, shutdown. Oh, you're right. You're right. Oh, well, you sorry. Just, just choking on your coffee there. Yeah, I'm enjoying it, but I got yeah. I re, now I'm recalling the ice storm. You took a sorry. shot of coffee to recall that. <laughs> I know. I'm blocking it out of my mind because I'm okay. ready for spring. You know, I wanted to. I, I missed this point before, but we were talking about thoughts and and. You know, you need to listen to those thoughts if you want to start to get more in touch. Remember your concept of thought detective? Yeah. I love that. So what do you teach your kids how to become more cognizant of their own thoughts? Well, for kids, it's it's difficult for them to understand the concept of self-talk because it's very abstract, obviously, even for adults like we were talking about before. The thought detective they become they have to take the thought and then they have to separate the fact from the fiction they also they they are friendly towards their thoughts like they take their thoughts quote unquote out to ice cream so you even if it's even if the thoughts you're experiencing are very negative you don't get upset at the thoughts like it because you don't want to you don't want to compound the issue and actually get frustrated with yourself so it's like you want to have no judgment around the thoughts you just want to hear them without attaching one way or another so that you can then 
understand where they're coming from. Let's talk about what we can do about, you know, self-talk and how to really accomplish that. Separating fact from fiction. That is the quintessential, absolute, not only the best starting point, but it's also one of the best finishing points. If you really embrace separating facts from fictions, it puts you in a position of choice. What are the emotional facts and what are the fictions of our life? And you can tell when they're emotional fictions because they're usually associated with the child reflex. They usually cause distress. They usually create some kind of visceral response, whether it be anxiety, a feeling of stomach cramping, uh, it's just heating ourselves up. So, so the fictions, the emotional fictions usually have a price to pay. Those are the thoughts that you might want to hold, slow yourself down and pay more attention to. And I think that those are the ones that, you know, you don't have to listen to every thought because the 60,000 thoughts, you'd, you'd, have, you'd not be able to do anything else in the daytime. But whenever you have those thoughts that cause that churning mentally and physically, stop yourself and take a look. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes these thoughts go unimpeded and they'll go on and on and on. My grandmother used to have a wonderful expression. She used to say, you can't stop a bird from flying into your hair, <laughs> but, you, but you don't have to help it build a nest. Mm. And, and by learning to separate facts from emotional fictions, by choosing maturity and and, you know, we can choose maturity. Sometimes it takes the conscious mind to override that strong, habituated child reflex. But the conscious mind can stand up to that and say, no, this is the absolute truth. I've got to get there. So we could make ourselves more formidable, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. So, uh, you know, so I like the bird nest metaphor. Oh, thank you. So let's talk about what what's what's the best self-talk strategy we can separate fact from fiction but also uh, we have to get into that self-trust and you know the courage to be present the thoughts that plague us these historical ruminative thoughts the child reflex that go on and on and on they pull us away from life tell us a little bit about why being present would be a way to cut through the negative self-talk chatter hmm. Are you, are you being present with that? Hmm. <laughs> I was actually. Um, yeah, it's just that's it's a little bit tricky to explain, I think, until you've experienced moments of presence. And I, I do believe everybody has. It's just sometimes we don't realize it when we do. Um, so I think like the best way to try and associate with a moment of presence is to think about the last time you saw something that was like miraculous in nature, like maybe a sunset or um, I remember when we saw the Grand Canyon for the first time, like something that you noticed that was just so beautiful that for a split second, like you just felt like you were in awe and you were taking it all in and there were no other thoughts. Like that's, that's one moment where you might experience a moment of presence. People also experience presence when they're like, you know, in a, in a high intensity um, situation, like a high adrenaline situation. There's nothing else oh, to yeah, do, but, yeah. but focus on that present moment. Yeah. Like if you're skydiving, for instance, yeah. you feel you're forced into presence, which is why people seek those experiences out because it's like the only time they can feel it. It was like when I was, when I was walking on the ice this morning, I was totally, <laughs> totally I, was, present. I was totally present on every inch of every footstep I took. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're right. You're right. That, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, 
I feel like it helps to like anchor to what presence is. It's, it's a moment of no thought. And of course we can't live that way all the time because our mind is programmed to think, but finding moments where you can release thought and you can do it by practicing. And I think the best way to practice is just to, to notice the thoughts that are always there. Um, and, and once you notice that they're there, you can try to release them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first part, the first step really is noticing. Cause I think a lot of us don't realize that, that there is constant thought and they, Pema Chodron is, is a uh, famous Buddhist monk who I love. And she, she once created a challenge and she basically said, if you don't understand what self-talk is, she said, walk down a busy city street and just notice your thoughts just what you notice in a one block span, like all of the thoughts that rush into your mind when you see, when you pass by somebody or you notice a store, or you like there's just so much stimulus that creates constant thinking and chatter in the mind that if you weren't listening to it, you wouldn't necessarily hear it. Yeah, and that's 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 what we, I talked about earlier about circumstantial neutral thinking. And those aren't the thoughts that that really plague us. Those are just the... I guess the bulk of the 60,000 thoughts. And we don't need to pay too much attention to those. Mm-hmm. We do need to pay attention to the thoughts that cause inner distress. That's the child reflex, the yeah. insecurity-driven thinking. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think it's important to realize that, you know, we're not trying to control our mind. You know, we're, we're really just trying to not be slaves to historically insecurity-driven child reflexes. We're trying to liberate our here and now mind. Uh, And one way that I would add to what you're saying is to be more responsive to life. You know, rather than being proactive, uh, what am I going to do today? You know, instead of all those proactive thoughts, be responsive, be reactive, see what comes your way. Try to roll with your present and see what impulses you have, see what things come through the door and what what happens when you walk out the door. You know, Mm. the more responsive, yes, I see you raising your finger. (laughs) Yeah, because as you're talking, I'm remembering like one of the easiest ways to get into that responsive living um, where where you are in, in presence is to engage your senses. Because if you're if your body is engaged with the experience, your mind kind of sometimes will hand hand it over so that you can experience presence. Like if you, if you go outside and you actually feel the air and you can, you know, just, just trying to inhale and smell, what do you smell? Do you smell the freshness of the ice? I don't know if you can smell ice, but do you know what I mean? To, to actually feel all of the sensations without judging them. So like even on a rainy, icy day, you don't necessarily comment and say like, oh, what a disgusting day. It's like, no, this is just a day and I'm going to actually um, feel all of the sensations that come with it. Or better yet, um, not interpreting the day, but just being in just that being. day. It, that, right, exactly. Instead of interpreting. That's very hard. And you're absolutely right. It takes practice. The more you stop trying to identify, and I think I think your, your friend Eckhart he says, you know, when you see a tree, you know, our mind tends to define that tree and it's late and it's treeness and it's a mm-hmm. maple tree or this kind of tree. So, you know, we're so used to just relying on the mind to kind of categorize everything. And that yeah. pulls us off of the immediacy of life. It's like, yeah. 
It's like the smell of, of ice, as you say. <laughs> he says this the one of the saddest things for him is when children start to learn the names of things. Like yeah, when they see something yeah. and they're like, what's that? And you're like, that's a cardinal. And yeah. he says, and then they never see a cardinal again. <laughs> it's like they 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 see the label, but they don't actually see the beauty of the bird. It's like, oh, cardinal, I know that. Like once you think you know it, you don't actually experience it anymore. Oh, yeah, that, that's great. I mean, can you imagine what what it was like before you labeled things mm. i mean if we went to maybe if we went to like i don't know antarctica or somewhere the galapagos islands and we saw things and life forms that we had never seen before maybe we'd get a glimpse of just seeing the thing as it is yeah. rather than labeling it well they say when people travel they actually fall into a greater sense of presence because they're experiencing things that are new and to, to fully experience it you actually have to um sort of mm. abandon thought yeah uh i think i think maybe we'll do our podcast from the galapagos islands next oh week. that sounds think? nice Are you um, up for it? yeah i guess yes you'd have to come it. out of your your place though and you don't <laughs> i know i'm very warm and comfortable in here <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's just as as we close up i just want to say that uh we we have to become really i think invested in believing that healthy thinking is a choice that we have to make. And not every thought has to be healthy or not healthy. As we've been talking, most thoughts are neutral, just process thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it's just the thoughts that cause disturbance, that, that you know, stir up the, uh, the dust. Those are the thoughts we want to challenge. We want to separate facts from fictions. What are the facts? What are the fictions? And your mind is capable of doing that. Don't let the child reflex, you know, just see polar bears when you know you're looking at flowers you know to focus more on what the truth is and that'll help you make a choice and if you know that the healthy thinking choice is a and you keep falling into the negative feeling thinking b well at least you're in a position to try to wrestle with that and who knows if you wrestle with it long enough and hard enough you'll just get yourself to kind of uh, extricate yourself from the stranglehold true and and just having awareness around that is so powerful yeah yeah like even if you're choosing because that because sorry because then you are choosing even if you're choosing something that's not benefiting you it's still your choice as opposed to it being a reflexive pattern exactly right we are still entitled to make poor choices and (laughs) and you know god bless you know sometimes we we go down the neurotic path but Usually we pay a price for that. And you can learn from that. You can, you know, kick yourself in the keister and say, you know, there I go again. I did it again. But let's keep these thoughts conscious. So maybe next time you'll be a little bit more reticent about, you know, capitulating. True. Because it's always more comfortable to go with the thing that you're used to. Yeah, of course. So it makes sense that you would continue to choose that until you're ready, like brave enough and courageous to like face the we are creatures of habit and lauren it's getting late you know what time it is my goodness i was wondering if you were going to ask me <laughs> i just um, asked you oh, oh yeah. uh, after oh, well first tell me what time it is <laughs> <laughs> well also i really like your hat by the way and i would like one. Oh yeah okay self-coaching great. on it oh good okay you got it do you have self-coaching swag no, like I, I did. I did. No, I was a uh, long time ago. It was I would like like a sweatshirt or something. <sighs> Fine. Okay. All right. Dad, what time is it? It is. Self-coaching. 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 Self
And today's pep talk, stop feeding the pigeons. <laughs> Lorna, I wasn't talking directly at you. <laughs> I know you're not feeding pigeons. Imagine that you're on your patio and you're trying to relax. You notice a cute little pigeon middling around, pecking and minding its own business. Innocently, you toss it a few crumbs from the leftover sandwich you've been eating. Next day, you go back out on your patio, and within minutes, your little pigeon buddy reappears with a companion. Enthusiastically, you throw out a few more crumbs, and by the end of the week, you're inundated with hundreds of pigeons, leaving your once pristine patio a shambles of feathers, droppings, and a cacophony of cooing. And you ask, <laughs> what should I do? And to anyone witnessing your problem, the answer is simple. Stop, Stop feeding, feeding the, the pigeons. pigeons. If you allow reflexive knee-jerk insecurity thinking to flock into your life with needless worry, fear, or negativity, then you're feeding the pigeons of insecurity. And if you insist on feeding your insecurity, the distasteful truth is that you will suffer. So from now on, keep the image of the pigeons in mind. Every time you find yourself spinning with insecurity-driven thinking, remind yourself, stop, stop feeding, feeding the pigeons. The next time you're spinning with something that's upsetting you, Lauren, please yeah. remember, stop, stop. Feeding, feeding the, the pigeons. pigeons. <laughs> hey, before I we like go, uh, yeah. I, I would I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this fantastic opportunity that has come your way. Tell us a little bit about growth mindset and how you and Self Studios <laughs> are now international. International. Yeah. Well, I will be presenting a commencement speech at a school in uh, a high school in Japan. In Japan, this sort of self-reflective self-care practice that a lot of Americans have undertaken as sort of like a life mission, it doesn't really exist there. Hmm. So they're looking to try and, you know, find ways to bring this idea of self-care into Japan because their culture is much more um, nurturing towards others there's a need for learning to care for self. I didn't know you spoke Japanese. Oh, I wish I spoke Japanese. I do not. <laughs> it will be translated live, live translation. Would you like me to translate for you? I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> but thank you for offering. <laughs> All right, kid. You got anything else for this week? Mm, you, no. didn't, you didn't blow a bubble you didn't uh have your i know because i was drinking coffee you, instead of chewing gum yeah okay i yeah. guess i guess you know these podcasts require every bit of caffeine you can get huh <laughs> yeah i also have stopped eating snacks while we record because mom said she could hear me chewing <laughs> which was very humbling <laughs> mom is a wonderful editorial critic yeah. Uh, will you have uh, our fact checker go over today's podcast? I, I think we'll, yes. I think we're in pretty good shape. I mean, I know I you, so. you googled the stats on the uh, number Correct. of thoughts. So yeah. All righty. So um, until next week, any, if since you have nothing else, I guess we'll sign off.
And visit our website, selfcoaching.net, where you can learn more about our self-coaching philosophy. And while you're there, check out our various self-coaching videos and audios, <laughs> holograms. <laughs> and we'll, no, I don't know what's there anymore. <laughs> oh, no. Check out the website. <laughs> it's a fun website. <laughs> until next time remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option and by definition victims are powerless and you're not powerless so remember everything is hard until you make it simple so join lauren my pigeon of a daughter and me what? every week <laughs> and let's make it simple together and stop uh being the, the pigeons <laughs> reach out for your dreams don't surrender there is more than it seems hold on and fight follow your heart